You're listening to the LaunchCast, your favorite podcast on the planet, brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. We're talking leadership, business, life, and growth right now as the countdown starts. It's like food for your ears. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five. Four, three, two, one. Woo! Hey, hey, everybody! Welcome to the LaunchCast. Episode 402, Season 4. I still got goosebumps. You can see them every single time I do this intro. We got a good one today. This one is called The Actor's Director. You're going to find out why in a couple of minutes. I am so happy to continue on on season four. But first, you know what's coming. It's the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. Leadership, business, life, growth, right now as the beat drops. Very proud of myself for doing this on one take in the first two episodes of this season. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. George Andriopoulos back hosting the LaunchCast today. We got a good episode today. I just want to do some housekeeping first uh, before we get started with our incredible guest. Um, Man, 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 what a week it has been. You guys knew that TEDx... Uh, was coming soon. So by the time, obviously, this airs, it'll be a couple of weeks after TEDx Farmingdale. But we had our final TEDx Farmingdale event this past Saturday. Uh, TEDx Farmingdale 2022, Legacy was the theme. I can't begin to put into words how incredible this event felt. and I'm not going to. I'm actually going to save this for for the next episode because I'm going to talk at length about uh, the TEDx platform on the next episode and and what it has meant to me uh, through the years. But I just want everybody that was involved to know that you you have all changed my life in in such an incredible way. The the speakers, first of all, I have had the pleasure of putting 65 people on that red dot through this event over the years. Uh, along with some of the other TED events that I have co-produced, that number is over 80. But 65 people on the red dot on the Farmingdale stage, what it means to me to do this event in my hometown where I grew up. Uh, you, you guys know the story, those that listen to this show. But, you know, I, I, I grew up here. I have a love for this town. I left it for a little while. I came back when I needed it. It lifted me up, and and I will never leave here again because of that Um And so I want to give back to this community. It is so important for me to not only give back, but to be able to add to it, to help it progress with platforms like TED um, and newer platforms that are coming. And so um, what, what it has meant to me to be able to collaborate with all 65 of you to get these ideas worth spreading out there um, to help you elevate and amplify your own voices and and to kickstart a, a different kind of leadership for you guys, it has been incredible for me. For, for me to be able to say that I was a tiny little part of that is just, uh, I'll, I'm forever honored uh, to to have been able to do that. Uh, for, for the team that, that helped me put this together over the years, you guys are amazing, you know that. I, I tell you that every single day for every single person that has been directly or indirectly involved in the success of the event, many of who I shouted out at the event, um, I thank you. So I, ju- I just wanted to sort of put that out there because the the event has come and gone and we're, we're in the afterglow right now and we still have to produce these videos and do some work, but um, it's it's over. That one last time is finally over. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that, put that onto the universe and, and just thank everybody for, for being a part of that. But um, speaking of voices, speaking of, of, uh, uh, of putting people on stages, my next guest today. I'm so excited to have him. I'm going to do the bio quick. I'm going to bring his handsome face on that screen and we're going to get started. So 
My guest today, director, writer, collaborator, Joe Ricci. Joe came to directing through his work as an actor and writer, and it's been said that he's an actor's director due to his understanding of the actor's mind and his ability to allow the actors the freedom to explore while giving just enough guidance to help them find their way. Working extensively on new works, he is especially at home when helping actors and playwrights navigate the unexplored terrain of a new play. He enjoys working on a wide range of types of theater from solo, multi-piece, uh, multimedia piece like Elizabeth Van Meter's Tao's Library, which has played multiple theaters across the country to a small black box production of I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change, to writing and directing a celebrity-filled celebrity one-night-only extravaganza like Broadway Blows Back, the Hurricane Sandy Benefit at the Gershwin Theater, hosted by Patrick Wilson with David Hyde Pierce, Mario Cantone, Chris Sieber, CBS anchor Dana Tyler, among others. He's had numerous projects, including In the Key of Love, a movie he wrote for Hallmark, most recently as the director of Squirrel Screams and Other Dating Sounds, and currently the writer and director of The Chrysalis, a new comedy about family drama with a staged reading happening on October 24th. Let me end this bio and bring this man on screen. Here we go. Is this going to work? My tech. There we go. Hey, Joe. There we go. How you doing? I'm doing good, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you. So uh, Joe and I have known each other for, for uh, a few years now, and, and we'll get into that later. But I, I'm mm -hmm. so happy to finally have him uh, here on the show. So Joe, I'm going to start where we always start with this show with the same question. Joe, are you a leader? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I try to be. You know, I think one of the things about being a leader is knowing when to really be there, knowing when to give people kind of the freedom to find their way. Um, you know, when you had mentioned about my directing, one of the things is you can't really micromanage when you're directing. You need to allow your actors to find what those moments are. And it's even more so when you've written a piece that you're also directing, which I'm doing with The Chrysalis, that you really have to really step aside because not only are you helping them find their way in a performance, you're also giving them the words they're going to say. So you want them the freedom to be able to explore those words and find their way around whatever that play or movie happens to be. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I want to continue uh, down that road in a second. But you, you brought up some uh, you brought up something super interesting to me. So um, having produced a, a few of these TEDx style shows and, and some of the new stuff that I'm doing, um, you know, working with with our speakers, getting them on stage. And yes, this is something that they pre-write and, and rehearse and, and, and everything. But this is sort of their own voice. It's not a piece that you're giving them that's written by somebody else, right, uh, right. for the most part. Um, and so the, the goal is to really make sure that they are sounding authentic. They're sounding like themselves while they're saying this thing. What is the difference in that dynamic um, in, in an acted piece like, like what you put out? Uh, there's no difference at all. Uh, the goal is the same. Whether they're your words or someone else's words, the goal is to make them sound as if they're happening in the moment. Uh, when I was teaching acting, uh, one of the exercises that I would give to actors is if they're in a rehearsal studio where there's rehearsing and stuff going on in rooms around them, is to sit outside the room and to see if you can tell when they're acting and when they're just talking. And sometimes it's so extreme, the difference between those two things, that it's like, oh, yeah, they're obviously just talking to someone now. Oh, they just started acting. Yeah. And so the goal is really the same, that you want it to sound like it's happening in the moment. I, I've read something you put out. I believe it was from your website. Uh, you said that your approach to directing is very collaborative. You believe that the magic mm -hmm. happens when talented, open people get into a room and influence each other. What is the importance to you of community in a production that you are putting together? You know... First of all, a buddy of mine has a saying that if everybody's thinking alike, somebody's not thinking. So that kind of group mentality where everyone is just having that same reality, we're all different people. We all have, we, we all have our experiences through our own lenses. Yeah. So for me, 
the goal of community is everyone brings that particular lens. And in the case of a, rehearsing a play, they bring that into the room and they're going to experience everything that's happening. For example, on a play that you're directing, they're all going to have different relationships to whatever's going on in that play. And honoring those differences and finding how these differences in a play can conflict to create the drama, can conflict to create the comedy, um, or to find those alliances between characters or moments. So it's kind of exciting to watch that happen in real time when you have really talented, smart people in a room together and they start bouncing off each other. And as a writer and a director, one of the most exciting things is when you discover something that you didn't even know was there just because of the way the people who are interacting, how they bounce off of each other, how they take what somebody gives them and what that does to them, what they give back to the person, and then how that person receives it, they ingest it, it affects them, and then it keeps going back and forth. And that's that's really when you get talented people into a room. That's one of the most exciting things to experience when you see that happen in real time in rehearsal and in performance. Yeah. So so I'm curious. Uh, right. We're talking about leadership here and as, as the mm -hmm. director and sometimes writer of, of uh, uh, something that you're putting out there. Um, I wonder what the difficulty is, if if at all, because it just sounds like you're such a collaborative person in that approach. I know that approach is infectious in terms of building the culture. It's how I tend to be when I lead a group um, as well. But again, we, we look at that juxtaposition between a group of speakers versus a group of, of actors. There are mm -hmm. similarities, I think, in, um, I guess when we look at, I don't want to use the word status, but you know what I mean? Like um, somebody coming mm -hmm. into the room and being established, right? Um, yep. and, and then playing in the sand with everybody as, as part of the team. As a leader, how difficult is that to for them to kind of get that or for you to lead them to the place where they get that? Because you, you've said uh, that collaboration has always resulted in something that is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's that's always the goal you know, when I'm doing an event, if we have, we had 16 speakers the other day, and the goal was not to have 16 individual speakers, it was to have one collaborative group that was coming together to put out, to put out one big story. So how difficult is that for you to get these people on the same page to collaborate to, to get to that place where it's the sum of the parts instead of just the parts? Well, yeah, I, sometimes it's easy, sometimes not so much. Um, I think one of the the most interesting things years ago, I was uh, I was involved in a workshop of a new of a new Broadway musical called Empire that uh, never actually came to fruition. But we did a really big workshop where it was you know full costumes. It was kind of like a mini production, um, a small set. And when I got the gig, I was talking to the director of that piece. I was acting then, and he said, you know, when we were having the auditions. Not only are you looking for the person who's right for the role or the, the person, if there's multiple people who are, who are talented and right for the role, who do you want to spend eight hours a day yeah. in a room with? And um, this, is a, this is just a, a kind of a side story, another acting moment. I was, this has got 20 years ago now, um, I was auditioning for a production of Jesus Christ Superstar to play Jesus. And I went in and there's a song called Gethsemane, which is really high and really long. So we had to sing that for the audition. I sang it and I went away. And about a half hour later, I get a call from my agent that says, they want you to come back and they want you to sing it again. I'm like, okay. So I show up and there's a person sitting outside the room who's the monitor who takes the names and everything. So I walk in, I introduce myself and I said, yeah, they want to see me again. She goes, that's great. This guy comes bowling in. And it's like, I'm, I'm supposed to sing again or something. And the monitor goes, well, he was here before you. I'm like, no, no, he can go ahead. It's fine. I can wait. So he goes in, does this thing. I go in, I do my thing. I end up getting the gig. When I was there doing the show, I found out that the reason I got the gig was because at the end of the day, the director had two headshots, mine and this other guy. And the monitor who was not involved in the production came in and he said, all right, we're down to these two guys. And she looked at him and said, he was nice. He was a dick. 
Yeah. And that's how I got the that's how I got the gig. Because you never know when that's gonna happen. She had nothing to do with the production and she made the final casting choice. Just because, you know, somebody was willing to be nice and you wanna spend eight hours in a room with that person exploring as opposed to eight hours in a room with somebody who's a pain. This is amazing advice for anybody out there doing anything, not just actors, yeah. not just anything. I have a very similar story. I was doing an event once, uh, 15 people <clears throat> involved, speakers. And, you know, the end result is a, is a big deal. It's a video that's out there forever, <laughs> forever and ever. Yeah. And we had that year some very difficult people, very difficult. And we got through it and, and, and it's fine. Sure. Um, a couple of the difficult people had issues that day. And this was a pre-recorded event, had issues. Um, and this one guy who was such a team player was so happy to be there. What can I do? How can I be better? The entire process, the entire mm -hmm. process was just looking to grow. And okay, maybe a little bit greener than some of the other people. And so the end result was a little rough as well. Um, and I didn't think I had something usable. And we're in the studio. And I called this gentleman in and I said to everybody else who was out there, I'm going to lock the door. Everybody hang out here for 20 minutes. And we brought in his talk and we put it on a teleprompter. And I said, you can re-record it because I want you to have the best. And sure enough, these other people get wind and said, well, we want to re-record. And I said, no, no, we, we had tech issues with his and that's why we're yeah. doing it. But it was because of that that we gave him that opportunity to the, because of how he presented himself, how, how what a part of a team he was. So that's huge advice, Joe, for, yeah. for people, huge advice. Yeah. Oh, the number of, the number of times, um, and I, I've been on both ends of this where you're in an elevator going to an audition and it turns out the person that you're riding up in the elevator with is the person who's going to be making the decision Yeah. or people I ride up an elevator with and they're like, however they are in the elevator, they get off the elevator and they're coming in to audition for me. So, you know, you never know, <laughs> you never when, know. when that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so let, let's take it back for a little bit. What what was yeah. life like for Joe growing up? Where did, where did you grow up? And, and tell me a little bit about that. I grew up in Jersey, in Edison. Um, it was really kind of a, a beautiful kind of family situation. A dad who was home at 525 every night. We had dinner together every night as a family. Um, I come from a family of hams. My dad played the accordion and then also played uh, keyboards. My mom sang, my dad sang, my sister sang. So music and kind of laughter was always a huge, huge part of my family growing up. Yeah. You know, um, and so it just sort of followed that I, I was kind of a performer my whole life. I used to I used to get up and sing Jeremiah was a bullfrog <laughs> at weddings. You know, there's like a picture of me, maybe seven years old, in a beautiful purple and brown kind of multicolored leisure suit at a wedding, belting out <laughs> uh, joy to the world uh, with the band at a wedding. Um, so yeah, and you know, I loved sports. I loved science. I have kind of both a creative and analytical mind. I'm a complete computer nerd growing up. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, played baseball, played football all through junior high and high school. And, uh, but it was acting and singing and performing that sort of was my passion. And so growing up, that's started taking dance lessons as a kid and then moved to New York when I was 19 wow. and started pursuing that full time. Yeah. So that, that's what I was going to ask you. What was that professional goal for you out of high school? Was it always acting yeah. or singing? It was, all, it, it was always acting and singing. Um, I didn't kind of discover my love for directing until later. And my writing sort of happened because I wanted to direct and I wasn't going to wait around for somebody to say, hey, here, direct this. So I started writing my own stuff to direct. Um, and then that sort of is now kind of blossom into other things as well. But yeah, I, you know, I, I moved to New York, uh, got my, my union, my equity card pretty early. 
uh, toured Europe in Jesus Christ Superstar and Annie Get Your Gun, did a lot of regional theater stuff, did a lot of national tours, Saturday Night Fever, I Love Your Perfect, Carousel. Um, and really, I didn't get my, my actual Broadway credit until about, I guess it's 10 years ago now, which I did A View from the Bridge on Broadway with um, uh, Scarlett Johansson and uh, Liev. And, and so it was, it was, you know, it was one of those things where I loved what I was doing, but I also had this kind of analytical side where I do a lot of computer stuff. So I was always doing both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What was, um, I, I'm curious during whether it was childhood or, or later on, uh, we, we talk about spark moments on this show. Um, spark moment uh -huh. being just a, a moment, a moment in time that kind of led you down a specific path, good, bad, or indifferent. Was there a, a, a moment in your life, whether a childhood or, or as an adult that sort of told you, yeah, this is absolutely where I'm going. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. It makes me a little emotional when I start oh. thinking about it. Um, I did a production of Jesus Christ Superstar when I was 17. And there's, there's a piece in that musical called John 1941, which is the book of John chapter 19 verse. I don't know yep. how it exactly works, but it's the moment when all the mourners come out and Jesus is brought down off, off the cross. So I was doing this production. It was actually at Playhouse on the Mall in Paramus, New Jersey. It's like Spencer's Gift, <laughs> Literal Theater, Macy's. And we come out and there was a woman weeping in the audience. And I remember this kind of overwhelming feeling that we did that, that she came in and had an experience that was so real and so emotional that it made her weep. Wow. And so that was kind of a huge moment when I realized the power of theater and the power of art that just sort of has, has kind of stuck with me. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, uh, across the journey. So I'm, I'm looking at your, your resume. I mean, there's, uh, mm -hmm. a ton of stuff when it comes to directing plays, directing musicals and concerts, uh, writing, performing. Uh, I checked out your IMDB as well. I saw a bunch of things you were on SVU as well. That's, that's oh, sure. my wife and I, it's, it's our favorite of, show. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a rite of passage for New York actors when you finally get a law and order. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my first my first law and order was the regular law and order where I was a delivery guy. Uh -huh. And then I get shot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was it was pretty great. And I remember the audition. And I think actually, again, never knowing what's going to kind of tip the scales in your favor. So the scene that I had was literally like three lines. And so I go in, I do my three lines, and then the director goes, bang! <laughs> and I like screamed to drop to the floor. And they just thought that was so hysterical because it was so in the moment. And I ended up getting the gig, and that was my first, uh, my first Law & Order. That's great. That's great. What was... Yeah. Um, what was the break for you in terms of uh, uh, moving to your 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 first big role, whether it was directing or, or acting? Uh, well, it was acting came first, and the first big gig that I got was the national tour of Carousel back in 1995, um, and it, it was my first national tour. Uh, I had been doing kind of regional stuff, and this was you know the first time making real money. Uh, and it was, and it had just closed, the revival had just closed on Broadway. So wherever we went, it was, it was a big opening night for each theater. And I was out on the road for a year and a half with that. And I understudied two of the leads. So I got to perform the leads a lot in that show. And so I think that was probably the biggest uh, first moment. But the second one came when I did I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change off Broadway. I went into that show about a year into, into the run, and that show ran for 11 years. Wow. And I was in and out of that for nine and a half years. Um, and here's, here's kind of a thought about being prepared. <laughs> so when I went into I Love You're Perfect, so it's four characters, man one, man two, woman one, woman two. Mm -hmm. Each actor plays about 10 to 15 different roles throughout the play. So I was going on for somebody who was on vacation for a week. 
So I learned man one and I went on for the week. And Monday morning, I get a call from the general manager saying, hey, how did it go? I went, it, it went pretty great. And this was off Broadway in New York. She's like, great. Do you think you could play man two tonight? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah. Now I never rehearsed it. I mean, I, I learned it, but I never rehearsed it. And she said, great, it's in Boston. So we need you to go to the theater and pick up your costumes. We're going to get you a plane ticket. We're going to send you the script changes. And also they don't have a turntable like in New York. So the blocking's a little different. Oh. <laughs> so I go and get my stuff. I get in a car, bumper to bumper traffic. So they bump the flight an hour. And then I finally get to the, the airport. I get on the plane. It pulls out from the gate, sits on the tarmac, pulls back in everybody off the plane. All of these delays, I landed at 7.30 for an eight o'clock show. Wow. That's when I landed. So I arrive and we go through all of the stuff and um, it, it was just, it was insane. We held the show for a half hour while we did all the, all the various stuff. But at one point, there's a scene change where you walk against the turntable and the new set comes on and you lay down on the couch and you start the next scene. So the scene ends and I start walking, but there's no turntable. So I walk back to the center and then I'm like, but wait, I should exit that way. So I start walking. I'm like, no, I don't think that's right. So in the dark, they're watching me on an infrared camera walking in a circle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> center stage and the, the stage manager's like, Joe's walking in a circle. Can somebody please go get him? So like <laughs> all these people come in from the wings and, and wrangle me and get me to the next scene. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so great. It was, so those were kind of the two, two big things for that. Um, for directing, it was probably Tao's Library, which was a beautiful off-Broadway piece, Elizabeth Van Meter's solo show about um, a moment when she realized she needed to go to Vietnam and build a library for this young woman who has created a library for her village in the uh, animal feed and manure shed of their home. And so it's this beautiful, it was a documentary film. It was also a solo show. She's an amazing, an amazing performer and writer and documentary filmmaker. Um, and I directed that and I worked with her for a long time on that. And then as far as writing goes, uh, my Hallmark movie. Yeah. In the key of love, which yeah. was so wonderful to get to do, so that was very exciting. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's kind of amazing, especially uh, nowadays. It's such a different world than it was, you know, 10, 20 yeah. years ago in terms of opportunities for a creative out there. And now a word from our sponsors. Well, that's a nice song. Hey, hey, everybody. It's me, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, the host of the LaunchCast, the co-host of Over My Dad Podcast. But more importantly, I'm here today on behalf of Launchpad 516 Studios, the podcast production company that makes those two shows, the one you're listening to now, and so many others possible. Now, what is Launchpad 516 Studios? Well, it's the brainchild of Launchpad 516, it's a podcast production company, and we help you from conceptualization to production to recording to post-production to monetization. The key word here, let's turn that hobby, that idea into a revenue stream. But more importantly, let's get that important idea out there and get your voice heard because that's what matters right now. Hit us up, launchpad516studios.com to find out more information or send us an email, podcast at lp516.com. DM me at Launchpad CEO on all the platforms. Let's chat. Let's get your voice heard. We're pretty good at this, guys. Don't let this offer slip by you. Later, guys. Hi there. I'm Lainey. And I'm Estella. And we're interrupting this podcast because we have a question for this audience. 
Do you or someone you know live with a disability or a chronic condition? If yes, you're not alone. One in five people in the U.S. do. We're the hosts of the Embrace It podcast, where we share tips, tools, and inspiration for everyday living with all types of disabilities. Our interviews with badass disability advocates will boost your confidence in all areas of life, including travel, fashion, relationships, career, and more. So walk or roll on over to your favorite podcast player and subscribe to Embrace It with Lainey and Estella. And now back to the show you were listening to, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. You're listening to The LaunchCast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios, with me, your host, the Launch Dad himself, George Andriopoulos. So I, I want to I want to get back to this in a minute. I want to uh, just move on to um, uh, personal life for a minute, just because when when we talk about leadership and the balance of leadership, I know that at least for me, it the case has always been that um, there has to be a balance in, in professional life and personal life in order to be a, an effective leader and, and a real leader mm-hmm. out there. Um, what is what does it mean to have a a, a partner? Uh, in life that that supports your dreams and and that that just is um, uh, a cheerleader, a supporter, um, and, and vice versa um, in terms of building who you are as a professional. Oh man, can't even say enough of how important that is. Uh, my wife Trisha Brooke, who you are somewhat familiar with, somewhat, uh, <laughs> somewhat. Um, this is actually my third marriage and there has been no one in my life that has been as supportive, as much of a cheerleader, as much of a, a friend, a, a, a co-worker is not really the right phrase, but she's a contemporary. We bounce things off of each other all the time. We give each other advice all the time about whatever it is we happen to be dealing with or going through or thinking about or an idea that we have. She reads all my plays, you know, when they're in the very infant stages, she comes to see all my stuff and has always given wonderful feedback and honest feedback. So it's, it's really important. And the other thing too, is there's an autonomy in our marriage where we both know we have, major careers that take up a lot of our energy and time. Yeah. But we know at the end of the day, we're going to come back home. We're going to sit across our kitchen table and have a cocktail and a snack and talk about our days and talk about what's next and what it is that we're thinking about or worrying about or excited about. So, yeah. So having that is just, it just makes life so much easier. Yeah. And it, and it elevates you. I, I'm, I'm in a similar place as you. My, uh, my wife, Colleen, and I uh, were married almost five years ago now, and, and this is my second marriage. Um, mm-hmm. And look, it, it's not to take away from, from anybody. My, my first wife was a great woman, great mom. Um, but when you meet somebody that can be that contemporary for you, that can be that, um, that support system, and, and you that for them, vice versa. It's just the the fit is something that takes you, it, it helps evolve you. It takes you to another place, um, even creatively or professionally that you couldn't be in if you were in a different situation. And that's something that Absolutely. you can't really realize until you're in it, you know, until you're yeah. in that, that situation. Um, yeah. And, and for those that don't know, Joe and I met through, through Trisha, uh, Brooke, Joe's wife, um, who's an incredible human being. And, um, when I talk about my shows here at TEDx Farmingdale and and of course speak coming up, um, I literally stole the playbook from Trisha on how to run a show. I asked you about community because your wife taught me the importance of, uh, community in a group that you're bringing together and how it'll elevate those performances. And, um, so I can't say enough about her, but I love that that you talk about how you do your thing, you have major careers, but then you come home and it's all about you guys. I know for a fact, if I text Trisha after 5 p.m., I'm not getting an answer until probably the next morning. T- Trisha usually texts me at about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning with mm-hmm. whatever response is coming. <laughs> so, And I love that that's, that's your time and, and uh, uh, it's important to, to have that. Yeah, it is. I mean, regardless of 
kind of what's going on in, in your career life, having that sacred time with your partner, your loved ones, your family, whoever it may be, and protecting that is really important. And that's something that I have learned from Tricia as well, because, you know, one of the things for me growing up, I struggled with a sense of feeling like I was missing something. I always felt like, ooh, something more exciting was going on over there. And it kept me from being present in whatever it is I was doing in the moment. And a lot of that comes from growing up. You know, you talked to my childhood. I was into baseball and football. I was kind of a smart kid. So I was like in AP classes in high school and honors classes. But I was also in choir and band and theater. And that created kind of this weird, you don't quite fit in anywhere kind of energy. Yeah. So that was something that took a long time for me to kind of shake. And, you know, it's interesting. Another aha moment was when I went to Allstate Choir in high school, where in my high school, there wasn't much of a theater department by the time I got there. Not a lot of people were into theater. Not a lot of people were into choir. And when I went away and did this Allstate Choir concert and was surrounded by people who were like me, that was a huge aha moment that you realize I'm not so alone. There yeah. are a lot of people out there. You know, you grow up in a, in a, not a small town in Jersey, but you know, it's a suburban town and your, your um, exposure to the arts is limited when you're a performer to the dance school that you go to or your high school for theater. You don't really experience kind of the world that's actually out there when you open it up and you find those people who are, are in your tribe, who are part of your group. Yeah. So yeah, so that was a moment too. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of cool how, um, look, there, there are still so many polarizing things about uh, growing up and, and um, a lot of times we can be alienated as, as children, you know, growing up, especially teenagers and you're, you know, you're finding yourself. Uh, it's interesting to kind of watch the evolution of how this has worked out over time. I, my, my daughter who's in ninth grade now, she just started high school this year. Um, mm-hmm. She goes to the same high school. I went to, and she is a total theater nerd. Uh, we both are. You talked about those moments with your family growing up, singing and laughing or whatever. We mm-hmm. have those. Mo- My daughter and I, if we're awesome. on a if we're on a car ride that's more than fifteen minutes, we <laughs> both know we're putting on any type of theater music, and we are just belting it out in the car, the two of us, right? Whether it's the Red soundtrack or Beetlejuice or uh, uh, whatever it is, awesome. Hamilton. Um, but it's funny. So growing up, uh, you know, I was. I, I played sports, but I was in all the AP and honors classes as well. So I was kind of friends with everybody. We had a group mm-hmm. called the Playcrafters in high school. That's those were all the theater kids. And although I was friends with them, there was they were a group that was sort of sometimes pushed aside. Right? Um, my daughter mm-hmm. is a playcrafter now, and watching it in the exact same school, they're so accepted. And, and like they thrive now because they have this thing. We have, we happen to have a very good theater program, uh, in our schools here and they just thrive because they have this skill set and this ability. And so it's 25 years since I graduated high school until they have finally recognized that these kids aren't just, they're not outcasts. They have a different ability than mm-hmm. you might have. And, and it's kind of cool. And, and the whole schools goes and supports these plays and it's very cool to see. It's very cool to see That's that. That's awesome. That yeah. makes me makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So let's let's move back to uh, uh, to everything else. So uh, I want to talk about what's going on now. I, I always ask sort mm-hmm. of what's what's next. You have the chrysalis happening now. So talk talk to us about the chrysalis a little bit. Yeah. So um, I, I always had this idea of Sunday dinner. My my mom was the youngest of eight. So we would go visit her family in Pennsylvania and you would, could potentially have 20 people for dinner just showing up. And I've always loved that idea of what happens around 
a family dinner. And I had this idea called Sunday dinner, which would be a series of family dinners over a series of Sundays. And that was sort of the only idea that I had. And then I met uh, Lisa Demore, who is, uh, she wrote Airline Highway and Detroit, which was nominated for the Pulitzer. And I took a class of hers. And after that class, it turns out that she does one-on-one -on -one kind of mentorships. So I started working with her a year and a half ago with this idea, and it expanded into what is now the chrysalis. And it's uh, the short version is Vicky and Kerrigan, two sisters. Kerrigan is very type A, very high strung. Vicky is the quintessential bohemian artist. They come home for a Sunday dinner and the dad announces that he's selling the house and that he's also joined a, a dating site called Silver Foxes. So what ends up happening is over a series of weekends, as they start to ready the house, you start to discover what's going on with the dad starting to date and going, you know, going on these dates. Um, the the high-strung daughter, you find out that there's problems in that marriage and how that's how that's evolving and what's going on with that. Vicky, the artist, is struggling with her art and how that's affecting her. And as they're going through all the stuff in the house, the memory of the mom comes up and struggling with all of this change. And the idea of the chrysalis is that that cocoon that we we go to where you, like a butterfly, you dissolve into basically this this goo and then it reconstructs itself into a butterfly and emerges completely different. So that has been about a year and a half in the making and what we're getting ready to do starting rehearsals actually a week from today, uh, we're going to do what's called a staged reading. So it's in a studio space, book in hand and some to kind of get a sense of the play with an audience. So that's, that's what's happening. Yeah, so so I, I I wanted to ask you about that because um uh, I, I was lucky enough to have you invite me to your your last reading uh, for Squirrel, Squirrel Screams and I actually got sick and couldn't make it, which I was so upset about. Mm -hmm. um, but now this is this one is happening. Can you talk to us or talk to the audience just because this is sort of new territory um, sure. for me um, about what that process is after this? Um, and and for anybody out there that's seen Tick Tick Boom. Right. This is kind of that that same idea. It's that big reading that yep. they did and, and whatever. So what mm -hmm. what is this for and what does this sort of lead to potentially? Yeah, the main thing this is for is to hear the play with people in the audience, because while writing is a very solo endeavor, like with with people who are doing talks, right, you do these talks and it's just you. You can record it, you can do whatever, you can watch it, you can have friends and family, but until you can get a, a nice group of people together to create that community, how does the community of this audience receive this particular play, talk, film, whatever it may be, that gives you a lot of information. So that first and foremost is the purpose. So that as the writer and director, I'm gonna guide where I think this needs to be and where it needs to go. I'll do rewrites of the script after hearing these particular set of actors read through the play um, because certain moments might not feel the way it felt when I was hearing it in my head I was as I was writing it. So there's a lot of changes that happen there. And then the other hope is that perhaps you can get somebody to come see it who really likes the piece, sees its potential, whether it be a theater owner, whether it be a producer of a particular theater or somebody with money who says, hey, I think this has a lot of promise. I want to produce this. I want to develop it. So those are kind of the, the steps yeah. that, that happen for this, this reading process. Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm so excited for this. Uh, I, I actually know uh, one of the actors in this, Rich Holman. I took one of his uh, oh, improv classes. Yeah. yeah, took an improv class with him. It was my first yes and. So. <laughs> oh, nice. 
You always remember cool. your first yes and. Yes, it was very cool. Uh, before we move on to the big three, I want to ask you, what's what's next after this? I, I know you have um, uh, stuff in development, so what's going on after this? Yeah, uh, well, it's interesting. I'm, I want to write... I mean, there's a couple, there's a couple Hallmark things that are in the hopper. We'll see. Hallmark has actually been changing a lot. I don't know if you or anyone you know watches much Hallmark. The vibe of the movies have gotten a little bit hipper. Yeah. They're a little, they're a little cooler these days. Yeah. And um, so there's a couple things in the hopper for that. So we'll see. That's all kind of in the works. Um, and then I'm looking at, actually starting writing my next play. Very cool. So uh, I'm going to start brainstorming on those new ideas and start from scratch again. Very cool. So that's well, kind of what's in, the, what's in the works. We're happy to follow you. Um, yes, I, and I did notice that with uh, with Hallmark as well. A um, uh, little bit more, uh, the, the, I guess the ideologies have changed, I should say. Uh, it, it's cool mm -hmm. stuff going on, yeah. And we, we actually, a couple of years ago, became fans of it just because we're – we're huge Christmas fans in in my house, mm -hmm. especially Christmas movies. And there's only so many times you can rewatch the same stuff. So when the yeah. Christmas movies start, we're like, you know what? But get a glass of wine, get on here, watch a cheesy movie. Why not? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, let's move on to the big three. The big three from the launch cast. The big three, Joe, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You're going to give me your top three quick, concise answers for each. Oh, Ready? geez. Okay. Yeah. It's not trivia. This is all about you. All right. <laughs> no, no, I know. Yeah. All right. Three favorite places in the world. Oh, at home with my wife. Hawaii, scuba diving, and Cancun. Cancun. Okay. Three favorite... I had plays here, but I should say plays should i say plays or musicals or just plays uh plays or musicals yeah plays or musicals yeah a jesus christ superstar I, I always have a huge part in my heart just from i've i've done that show multiple times and it's an amazing show uh a view from the bridge being being the first thing that i did on broadway and I might have to go with I Love You or Perfect No Change. It's just such a funny, wonderful show that was such a huge part of my life. Yeah. Uh, three biggest failures. First one would be worrying about at like the age of 25 that I was too old to do something new and stop me from moving forward in my life. Um, not doing this directing program when I was 26 or so that could have changed the trajectory of my life. Um, third biggest failure. Huh? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I guess maybe not realizing that I could carve what my life and career looks like, not worrying about what everyone believed it should, your life should look like if you're trying to be an actor in New York. Yeah. Stop me from discovering my directing, stop me from discovering my writing. Cause I'm like, no, I have to be an actor. I have to do it this way. So I, I think probably, I mean, I see kind of like a common thread in all those failures, which is don't worry about it. Do it. Yeah. You know, just, and how much do they help you lead in terms of the productions that you, uh, you run? How much do they help you lead those, those failures and what you've learned from them? Well, I, it's always to encourage people to not let their sensor get in the way. Yeah. When I see an actor who's rehearsing and you can see them not letting go that I, I, I'm very attuned to seeing that happen. So then it's really becomes a mission to try to free that actor up yeah. so that they can really get in touch with what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is their lens, what their, what their experiences with this particular character in this particular play is really, yeah. you know, if, to free them up so they can do that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Three proudest moments of your professional career. Oh, 
The first time I went on in the carousel tour as the lead, um, going to the set for In the Key of Love, and going to the Tonys with my wife, Trisha, probably the three, those would be the three top That's three. very cool. Very yeah. cool. Guys, we did it all. Questions are done here. Joe Ricci, thank you so much thank for joining you, us today. This is incredible. I'm going to put you on mute, put you in the green room for a second while we wrap up, and then we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Joe. All right. All right, guys, another one, another one, another one. 402 is in the books. We got more coming this season. Keep an eye on the LaunchCast every single Monday. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, all the platforms. And check out the other shows from Launchpad 516 Studios. We got some cool stuff coming up this season. We have some new shows in development. They're going to be launching soon. But most importantly, we, we made this announcement this week. Uh, and so whenever this comes out, speak we're going to be talking about this in, in length in episode 403. Speak is the new jam, the new jam, right? November 17th in Farmingdale, New York is our first ever Speak pop-up, and it is themed beginnings. So Speak beginnings happening November 17th. Tickets go on sale on Thursday, tomorrow, which is the 13th. Thursday, October 13th at 11 a.m. at speakevent.com. Get those tickets, 100 seats limited seating it's going to be great guys thanks for joining we'll see you next week launch sequence terminated into the black hole into the black hole the launch cast is brought to you by launchpad 516 studios produced by fabrizio fugazi and executive produced by george andriopoulos marketing and pr by media convergence theme song by tommy lungberg music and sound effects are licensed through epidemic sound the LaunchCast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it, guys. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, the host at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or follow the show at The LaunchCast Show on Facebook and Instagram, or at LaunchCast Show on Twitter. Visit our website, thelaunchcast.com, and make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. We'll see you next time, guys.